Tonight's reading is taken from Colossians 2, verse 6 to 15. That's Colossians 2, verse 6 to 15. And you'll find it on page 1183. So then, just as you received Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you on this wonderful day. Um, my name is uh, Stuart. I'm one of the curates here, and I help head up, oversee the uh, student work here. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about uh, having some baptisms here uh, this evening. Uh, we have three people getting baptized. We have Faye, Sam, and George. And we have Naomi, who's going to be renewing her baptism vows. And... Um, I love baptisms because uh, they're about the beginning of our walk with God. We're about standing up and um, having a, an opportunity to publicly declare what we believe. And um, so tonight, as we look at this passage, uh, I thought this would be a good time, uh, an opportune time to go back to basics, to go back to, to the question which I want to ask, ask tonight. What, is it, what does it take to make a Christian? What is a Christian? And uh, we're going to ask that, and uh, we're going to be looking at this passage, Colossians chapter 2, because uh, it's all about that. It's all about the, uh, the starting points of the Christian faith, and it's all about um, baptism and what it means to um, become a Christian. So, uh, why don't you join me as I pray, and then we'll have a look at that. Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you are and all that you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for this passage which has uh, so much to teach us. And we pray that as we explore it together, we would learn more about your love for us and the good things you have for us. Amen. Great. So, the question. What makes a Christian a Christian? What makes a Christian a Christian? It's an interesting question. Um, I guess there might be a whole range of answers. You know, um, you know every year the census comes around and uh, a lot of people might, uh, might feel, feel themselves in as, as a Christian. Not every year the census comes around. It comes around to four years, I don't know. Uh, it comes around, some people fill it in as a, as a Christian because they, um, they're just born in what they might think is a Christian country. They say, yeah, I'm, I'm from England, that's a Christian country, must be Christian. Some people say, oh, a Christian is someone who's grown up in a Christian home. 
Others, um, and we hear this sometimes in, in kind of from our politicians, you know, say we have Christian values in this country. We have Christian values. I don't quite know what that means, but, um, but maybe that's uh, what makes us Christians, holding Christian values. Or maybe it's more about something that we do. Maybe it's about going to church. Maybe it's about a certain amount of praying you have to do before you somehow tip over the line. Um, maybe it's something else. I don't know. What makes a Christian a Christian? Well, the Apostle Paul begins uh, our passage tonight with these lines. As you have received Jesus as Lord. As you have received Jesus as Lord. That is the starting point, Paul thinks, for us as Christians. Jesus. And I, I just want to start by kind of just pausing on Jesus and just, just sort of, just really saying really clearly, Christianity is first and foremost about Jesus. It, it, it's, it's not so much about who we say we are or what we think uh, we can do for him. It is so much more to do with who we think Jesus is and what he has done for us. Getting baptized is coming and, and, and proclaiming something that we believe about who Jesus is. And since the, the first century AD, this has been the kind of uh, mark that has marked out Christians as different. This is what may, has made a Christian a Christian. At their baptisms, they have stood up and they proclaimed two things about Jesus. One of them is that Jesus is Lord, and the other one is that Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Savior. Um, and so we're just going to unpack what on earth does that mean? What on earth does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior? So let's start with that first one. Paul says, as you have received Jesus as Lord. But what does he mean? What does he mean by that? We live in a, a time, we live in an age when I think uh, religion is being seen as an increasingly sort of personal thing, isn't it? You know, you sort of, uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's fine if you kind of believe it, but, um, you know, just don't, just don't do anything. Um, it's fine if you uh, kind of think these things, but it's, it's kind of, I think it's out there sometimes with, you know, other sort of quirky lifestyle choices, maybe a bit like um, the paleo diet, um, or, or, you know, people who get really into photography, they love photography, it's, you know, and you hear these kind of, or cycling, my brother-in-law is super into cycling, he cycled 400 kilometers this, this week, uh, and I was just, that's, you know, and you hear these kind of phrases, don't you think, well, that's nice for them. We all know what that means, it's like, it's not nice for me. <laughs> um, but, you know, okay, that's, that's fine, that's fine. And I think sometimes um, when we hear people say, uh, you know, I follow Jesus, Jesus is my Lord, we kind, of, we kind of compute it along those lines. We think, what, is, what do they mean by that? They must mean something like, Jesus is my personal trainer? Jesus is my kind of favorite icon, favorite, Mar favorite Marvel character? Um, Jesus is uh, my, my, my top hobby. And I think often these days that's what we think. Uh, people mean when they say, Jesus is my Lord. But actually, I just want to say, uh, Christians believe something a whole lot more controversial 
about Jesus than that. A whole lot more controversial. Christians believe that Jesus is God. Paul says, um, he says there, Jesus is all the fullness of the deity living in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity living in bodily form, says in verse 9. That is a pretty, that's a pretty big claim. I don't think um, there are many serious uh, historians these days who would deny that uh, there was a man, a historical man, who lived in uh, first century Palestine uh, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that, uh, yeah, he lived and taught at that time. That's pretty, pretty un- uncontroversial these days. Um, nor is it, I think, particularly controversial that this man was an amazing teacher. Um, you know, uh, by all accounts in the Bible and outside, he drew enormous crowds, was very popular. And uh, whatever else you think of him, he has been one of the most influential people in all history. You know, he never, he never left his, his own country. He never wrote a book. Um, and, yet, and yet, he has more followers in this world than, um, than, than any other religion. So I don't think uh, you'd have to, you know, it's pretty uncontroversial that he was, a, he was a wise teacher of some kind. But I think if you went out onto the streets and you asked people, okay, who is this Jesus fellow? I think that's where it would stop for most people. And most people would say, oh yeah, well, you know, he was probably a wise guy, probably a, quite a nice, seems like a nice guy, seems like a nice guy. But um, I don't think he was really much else. I don't think he even really ever claimed to be much else. You know, I think this has all been, this has all been slightly blown out of proportion. But um, when we say that, we forget one other, also quite uncontroversial fact in history, which was Jesus was executed for what he taught. He was put to death for what he taught. And um, not many people in history have been executed for being nice guys. And Jesus was no exception. When he was put to death, whatever else we draw from the story, it seems that the Jewish authorities brought the charge of blasphemy against him. Something about what he was claiming, what he was teaching, what he was saying, was he was putting himself up there with God. When the Roman authorities uh, joined in and put him to, 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 to death, they, uh, they did so on the charge of treason, on the charge of undermining the authority of Caesar. See, everyone else called Caesar Lord, but his followers called Jesus Lord. This uh, Mr. Jesus fellow, whoever he was, claimed a lot more than just being a lifestyle coach. A lot more. And it it got him killed. But if we read the stories of his life, and I encourage you to do so, it's not hard to see why. You know, there's bits we like, the bits where he does things, uh, you know, look after people and stuff like that, and we kind of, okay, that's nice, I can, I can deal with that. And then there's the bits where he says things that are kind of stick in your throat. He says things like this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. 
He said things like this, I and the Father are one. He said, if you know me, you know my Father. Jesus did a lot more than claim to be a lifestyle coach. He claimed to be God. Now, uh, of course, many people in history have claimed uh, many exciting things. Um, but again, not many of them have, have been willing to die for those claims. But no one else that I know of has also not only died for claims like that, but then come back from the dead to say, I told you so. But that is precisely what Christians believe. That is precisely what Jesus' early followers claim that he did. Those uh, who watched his execution were there at his burial, claimed that he walked out of his own grave and appeared to hundreds of people at that time. And again, we can say of them too, okay, well, you know, again, many people have claimed many things. But I find it absolutely fascinating to, 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 to know that 11 out of 12 of Jesus' close disciples also went on to die for, for saying that this was true. You know, and many others beside. Now, again, you know, many people make up many things. And, uh, you know, but most people are willing to lie when it's in their favor. But when you're standing in the Colosseum and you're charged, you know, come on, just tell us that you made this up. People don't rise from the dead. This is, this is you know, this is undermining us. Just tell us you made it up. Not many people stand there and say, I will go to the grave on this. I'll stake my life that I saw Jesus after his death alive. Christians believe that Jesus is alive today. Verse 12, Paul says in verse 12, he has risen from the dead. And if that's true, if that's true, everything changes. If that's true, everything changes. This world is broken wide open. The rules we think apply to this world don't apply. It's not a closed system. Someone has broken in. Christians from the earliest time have been those who've said that Jesus rose from the dead. And so the things he said about himself, the things he claimed, are true. He is the fullness of the deity dwelling in bodily form. And if that's true, it has uh, lots of implications. And Paul outlines um, another one of them, which he says um, is that, therefore, he is, verse 10, he is the head over every, every power and authority. Christians are odd. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead he is God and he is therefore Lord. Now, um, many of us might think, oh, wow, that sounds a little bit, a little bit confrontational, a little bit, uh, you know, kind of repressive. You know, I don't want a Lord, you know. We've been trying to get away from that for, you know, since the feudal age, you know. I, you know, that sounds, that sounds negative. 
But, you know, we don't always think that authority is bad. We don't always think that uh, someone uh, being Lord is bad. You know, when, when, a, when a school is failing and a new headmaster comes in, there's hope, isn't there? There's hope that that person will come, bring a change of direction, bring new principles, and they'll turn it, turn the school around. When a company is about to go under and a new CEO is brought on board, the hope is that they will, they will you know, prevent it from hitting the bottom, that they will use their influence to bring life to that company. And Christians uh, don't just say that Jesus is Lord. They also think that this is good news. This is really, really good news. It is good news that Jesus is God. Because Christians don't, aren't just those who stand up at their battles and say, Jesus is Lord, he's God, but also they stand up and say, he is our savior. He has done so much for us. And if you want to know whether Jesus being Lord is a good thing for you in your life, you need to look at the things he wants to bring, the things he wants to do in our lives. And they are good. And Paul goes on to outline lots of those things in this passage. And I just want to pick three things. Three things that Jesus will bring in our lives if we receive him as who he says he is, as Lord. The first one is uh, if we receive Jesus, he brings us into a close relationship with God. He brings us into a close relationship with God. Um, in verse 11 there, you might have noticed a little uh, mention of circumcision, which um, is not my favorite topic. And um, it's, uh, it's a bit odd for many of us, kind of an opaque reference. But circumcision back then in their day was a sign of being an Israelite, a sign of being part of the people of God. That was a privileged, a privileged uh, uh, position. They were the people who... God had revealed himself to. They were the people that lived with God, knew and experienced his presence, who could call him Father. And, Jesus, uh, and Paul says that now that you have received Christ as Lord, God has brought you into that people. He has brought you into the privileged position where you can know God yourself. And you know, I, I, just, I don't think people, many people know that this is on offer. I don't think many people know that this is even an option in life, that you can actually know God. I think if I went out on the street and chatted to people, uh, you know, many people might say, oh, I don't think there is a God. Others might say, uh, well, there is a God, but I think he's out there somewhere. He's so distant. We can't know anything about him. We certainly can't actually know him. But in Jesus... God has come to stand in front of us and look us in the eye. God has come to our eye level so that we can get to know him. He has come with an invitation to know him personally. That is just, just amazing. And I just want to say, this is the highest joy and privilege we can have in life. I know that might sound Totally wacky, but it really is. And I'm sure we'll hear some of that in the, the stories later people tell. It is the highest 
joy we can have. God has made us in love for himself. He wants us to know him. I like, uh, I like the analogy of the toys in Toy Story. Um, who has seen one of the three Toy Stories? Come on, back me up here, surely. That's a, that's a reasonable number. We are moving on. I need to get a more up-to-date analogy. Um, well, the toys in Toy Story, I don't know whether you've seen it, but basically, you've, you may not have noticed this, but they're basically immortal. There's a little bit in, this, in the second, uh, first one, I think, where they repair each other, and it's like, hold on. They could, they could basically do whatever they wanted. They could just head off into the woods, set up their own little community. It'd be a very different film. Um, and, um, but yeah, they could do whatever they want. But throughout the uh, three uh, films, we see that the toys... Um, you know, Woody and co, keep coming back, being drawn back to the children. They have this inward tug, this deep sense that the, the, the greatest fulfillment they can have in life is to, is to bring joy to the, to, to the children. Because uh, that's what they were made to do. That's what life was about for them. And that's where they find their deepest fulfillment. And I, I just want to say, it's the same with us. God loves us, and he has made us for himself. He's made us to know him. And if we receive Jesus as Lord, we can know God. That's the first thing Jesus brings. The second is that if we receive Jesus as Lord, he takes us from death to life, from death to life. Um, you can read there in verse 13, Paul says that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Dead to alive. Our God is a God of life. He's a God of life. He's the life-giving God. He's not out to get us. He's not out to ruin our lives. He's not a killjoy. If that's the picture you have of God, then again, I advise you, go and have a read of some of the stories of Jesus' life. Have a read of those and then see what you think about him, whether you still think that he's boring and lifeless and deathly. I think if you read those, you'll find that Jesus is dangerously alive. He's dangerously alive and brings life everywhere around him, healing people, speaking truth into people's lives, challenging injustice, uh, bringing purpose to people, all kinds of things. Here are some of the things that he said. He said, I have come to bring life and life to the full. I have come to bring life and life to the full. And as we've heard already, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you ever wonder if there's more to life than this? More, more to life than what's just in front of you? Just, there's got to be more. There is. There is. In fact, Paul, Paul says, life hasn't even really begun until we begin to live life to the full with Jesus. And not only that, but the offer of life extends beyond this, this worldly life. I know that might seem a long way away for some of us, but it is really important that the offer of life 
is that Jesus rose from the dead, showing us that beyond death, there is life in him. But there is a flip side to all of this. There's a flip side, which Paul also kind of alludes to, which is that if we cut ourselves off from God, if we live a life apart from God, we have cut ourselves off from the source of all life. It's a bit like, I don't know, this is a silly analogy, it's a bit like being a vacuum cleaner and unplugging yourself from the mains. It's a bit like uh, a flame where the gas has been turned off. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. In the end, there's only one result. If you carry down carry on down that path. There's only one destination. Choosing to live apart from the God of life is choosing a death sentence for ourselves. And that plays out in many ways in life, in many different aspects of our lives, whether it be relationships or or, or many other ways. But ultimately, ultimately, it means forfeiting everything, our very selves, We cannot separate ourselves from the God who gives us our life, our breath, our everything and come out unscathed. But God doesn't want that for us. He has no desire of that for us. He wants us to return to him, receive him as Lord and live a life of fullness with him. So that's the second one. The final one is this. When we receive Jesus as Lord, we receive forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. God has made us to know him. God has made us to draw our life from him and have fullness of life in him. But when we turn away from him, we don't just uh, cut ourselves off from those things. In some way, we also personally affront him. Whether we mean to or not, whether it's conscious or not, our ingratitude, our disobedience, our ignoring of him, of our doing life as if he just simply doesn't exist, are, are, are an insult to his love, to his kindness, and just, frankly, to the fact that he is God, that everything we have is from him and everything we have is for him. And Paul pictures this uh, in our passage as defaulting on God. As defaulting on God. And he pictures it as a a, a legal charge of debt against us. The cost of which, the full payment of which, if if it was paid, is death, is separation from God. And we may want to return to that restored relationship with God. We may want to return to the fullness of life that he wants to offer. But this debt is something that has to be dealt with. It's something that stands between us and God. And I don't think this is too hard to understand. You know, if we were in a really close friendship with someone or a relationship with someone, and then, I don't know, let's say I, I, me and a friend, and I, I robbed their house and chopped their leg off. I don't know, that's an interesting analogy. And then I, I wanted to like return to our friendship before and restore the relationship to, you know, and I wanted to enjoy the benefits of that relationship again, but I wasn't willing to admit that that had 
happened or that that was wrong or that that had hurt them or was just, it would, it, you couldn't. You couldn't return to that relationship. That would need to be dealt with, wouldn't it? That would, that would require forgiveness. And it's the same for us. But it's at this point where things get most sharp that we also see what a wonderful kind of Lord, what a wonderful kind of God Jesus is. You know, he has every right to extract his pound of flesh. He has every right to ask, um, you know, to, 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 to just let us go our course, but he doesn't. He doesn't sweep these things under the carpet because they're important, because they matter. But he makes a way that we don't have to pay them. Our God is a God who both shows us how serious that is, how serious living apart from him is, and how much he loves us by giving his own life to pay that debt on our behalf. Paul writes um, later on, verse 13, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And the image there, um, you know, when criminals were, were executed by crucifixion by the Roman Empire, they were being made an example of. And they put, you know, whatever they were being charged with was written on a piece of paper and it was nailed above their heads so that everyone else was warned. And the image that Paul, Paul is offering us here is that when Jesus died for something that he shouldn't have died for, he was died for claiming to be God and he was. He was innocent. When he died there, it's as if the charges that should have been above our heads, the charges that were against us were nailed above his head. The example was being made, but it was being made on him. God has brought the full weight on himself. I like the uh, picture of uh, you know, someone who's going to be made to walk the plank um, you know, as they've been mutiny against, uh, against the captain. And um, as they're walking out, uh, and uh, the, the, the lead weights are tied to their legs, and each one for um, something they've done, and it's going to pull them down. And at the last minute, the captain himself also walks out. Jesus walks out and offers to jump in with us. Except he offers that if we, if we will allow him, he will take those weights and tie them to his own feet. So that when we jump in, it's him that gets pulled down by those things and we survive. That is the kind of Lord, that's the kind of God that Christians follow. He's not only Lord, he is Savior. Christians believe that Jesus lived among us, that we would know who God is, that we can come to know him that he died for us, that we can be forgiven, set free, and that he rose again, that as we come to see that he is who he says he is, we can also come to share in his life, now and eternally. 
And so to finish, I guess uh, just a couple of things to say. I guess, first of all, um, to anyone who might put their hand up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I, I, you know, this is the first time hearing about it or, or whatever. I just want to say, you know, I don't know what your experiences are of Christianity. I don't know what your experiences are of church or of Christians. It may have been fantastic. It may have been terrible. I apologize for that. Um, but Christianity is about Jesus. Don't write off, don't write off Christianity until you've really considered who Jesus is and what he says he's done for you. It could be the most exciting adventure you ever start. If you want to chat more about that, come and grab me after I'll be up here or um, maybe a friend who brought you or, um, or read a uh, copy of, uh, we've got some copies of John's Gospel at the back, Stories of Jesus' Life. Have a read. Ask for yourself, who is this person? And then to, to those uh, who are being baptized, Faye, Sam, George, and Naomi, and to all who have been baptized, who have said, yes, I believe this about Jesus. I believe he's Lord. I believe he's Savior. I just want to read us uh, Paul's words at the beginning of this passage. As a reminder, this is all about Jesus. When you look at yourself and you think, you know what, I just can't do this. I can't, I'm not, I'm not great. Remember this. Since you have received Christ as Lord, continue to live in him, in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's let who we know him to be the life-giving God who loves us and gave himself for us. Let that be the center of our lives. Let everything flow from it. Let it be the source. Let it be uh, the axis by which we see the world. And remember that he will finish the work that he starts. He will finish the work that he starts. He promises to be with us to the end. And one day he will return to claim us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Let me pray for us as we finish. Lord, I thank you that you are alive and with us. And Lord, um, help us to remember that those early Christians staked their lives on the fact that they, they, they'd seen you, that you were among them. Lord, we pray that we would be people who, um, as we learn more and more about you, would learn to trust in ourselves less and less and trust in you more and more. That we would be people who stake our lives on you and in your work in our lives. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We can't even begin to understand it or thank you enough. And we pray that you would show us more of who you are. Amen.